Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. The first folder was not a digital folder. It was filing cabinets. And so that was invented in like late 19th century in a purely physical world, right? And if you think about that, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. We don't have these computers that can arbitrarily just index information that you can just retrieve from instantly. The physical incarnation of, of a filing cabinet, that was actually a huge point of innovation for in terms of how people organized information. Then when computers were invented, right, because people had become so familiar with these filing cabinets that people who invented the personal computer, they said, okay, well, we're just going to take this skeuomorphic filing cabinet and we're going to turn it into something that is very familiar to people. And that's ultimately how a folder came to be. And whenever you have new technology that arises, a lot of the effort goes into making it look and, and appear familiar so that people can actually adopt it. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Dennis, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, Srini. Thanks for having me. Oh, so. man, it is my pleasure to have you here. I have been wanting to have you as a guest on the podcast for such a long time. You are the co-founder of probably what is my favorite app. In fact, I talk about it so much that people probably think I either work for you guys or that I'm a member of a cult. You're the co-founder of Mem, all of which we will get into. But before we get into that, I wanted to stop asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping and influence the choices you've made with your life and career? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my dad was a, uh, is, uh, a mechanical engineer. Um, and it's funny, he, you know, he has, he has quite the interesting story because he, uh, you know, he, he immigrated to, to Canada from China and, uh, he actually, you know, I grew up wanting to, you know, he wanted to do business, but then when he immigrated, I think my mom forced him um, to, 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 move to Canada. Uh, he, you know, he decided to, to go into engineering. So now he's like a, he works in like the nuclear energy space, so, you know, way smarter, way smarter than I am, honestly. Um, and every time I talk to him, I, I feel like I learn a lot. And then my, my mom, um, she works in uh, basically in banks, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, with what they ended up doing, were your, was your household like a typical Chinese household, typical Indian Jewish household where it's like doctor, lawyer, engineer as the sort of career uh, advice? I would say it was, um, it, it was, it was typical in many ways and, you know, the value of education and, and just like, they, they, they really, you know, they, they, they really cared about that stuff. Um, but, uh, I think they, they were less like, oh, you have to be a doctor or a, or an engineer. Um, they were more so kind of like, you know, um, like my, my mom really wanted, she made me read a ton of books of just like great historical figures and, you know, kind of leadership and all of that. And so, yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff around that, but um, less, less, less of like the doctor. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, just from the, the conversations I've had with you, it, it seems like, you know, their influence is subtle, but still 
relevant. I mean, when you were thinking about a career, I mean, obviously technology has probably changed so much from the time you were starting college to now. I mean, when you went into school, like what were you thinking about in terms of potential career paths? I mean, particularly at Stanford, which is like this breeding ground for, you know, founders like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, I, I mean, my, my college journey was actually, was actually quite interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I applied to like a, a bunch of American schools. The only school I actually ended up getting into was Stanford. Wait, seriously? Uh, That's, wait, how do you get rejected from everywhere but Stanford? So what, where, where did you apply other than Stanford, MIT and Harvard? I, I, I mean, it was like a lot of the Ivies. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, you know, uh, ended up, you know, it was, it was funny because it was on my birthday or Ivy day. Uh, you know, it's like historically all of the Ivies get back to you at the same time. Um, and that was my birthday in my, you know, in my senior year. And every single one was like a, either, you know, a rejection or a wait list. And Stanford was the next day. But at that point, I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, I guess I'm going to go to school in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, Canada's, as some, as some I didn't breaks. know you grew up in Canada. I did. I grew up in Canada. Um, I was actually born in New Brunswick, which is okay. really, it's, that's at, you know, real Canada. Um, yeah. But I was, I was only there for seven months. So I don't, you know, remember anything there. And then we moved okay. to, uh, to, to the Toronto area. So I, I grew up there um, and then, you know, moved down here for school. You know that I was raised, born, raised in Canada, right? No, where, what, what part? I grew up in Edmonton for four years. My sister was born in Edmonton. Oh, Edmonton, really? Yeah. So it's pretty Canada too. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hockey fan or, you know, it's funny. I'm not, but the crazy thing is that Wayne Gretzky used to play on the Oilers when we lived in Edmonton. And I used to wa- I saw the Oilers practice in West Edmonton mall. You just see Gretzky and, and, you know, the team basically practicing when you'd go to the mall, which at that time was not, you know, was basically being built. Um, one thing I wonder, you know, particularly if somebody comes into one of our most elite universities in the United States from Canada, what have you seen, you know, particularly in K through 12 education, you know, being raised in a family where education is of high value? What do you see yeah. as, as the sort of differences, you know, between your peers at Stanford who are educated in America versus yourself being educated free Stanford in Canada? Yeah, I mean, there are, I think it kind of depends uh, where they came from. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the people who go to Stanford, um, it's like you know thirty three percent of the population, like at, at Stanford is from California, mm-hmm. um, and I would say you know a, a big chunk um, of those people and also just of, of, of other folks came from these like highly competitive feeder schools, right? There's like these high schools where for for a lot of my friends they said high school was harder than than college, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know there's some. That, that's one of like probably the uh, the best kept secrets, which is just uh, once you get into Stanford, how easy it is to to kind of get a degree from there. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I think I wasn't in that pressure cooker environment necessarily. You know, I was, I think I was, I was much more balanced. I, you know, I went to a good school. It was a, it was a public school in Canada. Um, it was, you know, one of, one, of, one of the better ones, but it wasn't like, you know, my whole existence was, you know, was the SATs and, and was like figuring out how to, you know, be, become the president of, of every club and all of that. Right. So I think basically I, I had like more of an opportunity to actually be, you know, a kid, uh, mm-hmm. than, than a lot of my peers. And, you know, my, my first passion was actually basketball. So really, yeah, it was, it was basketball. I started playing when I was around 10, my parents just you know, signed me up for a bunch of sports. Uh, and then I really fell in love with basketball. Um, and, you know, started to play pretty competitively. Wanted to go to the NBA. That didn't end up working. Out. Uh, but, uh, so you would have been like another Jeremy Lin, basically. When, when that was happening, that was insane. Uh, <laughs> I was, I, I, I love, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the craziest moments of my life. So, yeah. Well, you know, and part of the reason I, I'm so intrigued by your educational background is because if you look at the way that the narrative around college has basically been distorted, say, over the last five, six years with the college admissions scandal, with the you know pressure cooker environment that you mentioned, I, I feel like college has become sort of this, you know, 
like just next step that people take without questioning whether they belong there, what the hell they're doing there, you know, what they're going to get out of it. And yeah. particularly in environmental Stanford, because like when I was in college, which was far before you, the thing is we didn't have access to the kind of knowledge, the kind of information we do, the kind of resources that on we internet. do on the internet. I mean, the internet was in its infancy when I yeah. was in college. And, you know, I still feel like though people go to a lot of these places and they are choosing from the options that are put in front of them and they're blinded by the possibilities that surround them. So if you're talking to freshmen at Stanford who are looking at, okay, how do I make the most out of this college experience or freshmen at any university for that matter? Um, no. What do you say to them? Because I think there's this tendency to be so caught up in the future that you forget to actually enjoy the present. Like I was the idiot who went to a career fair the third week of school thinking, okay, let me start thinking about this now. And to this day, like, you know, I remember I went in to talk to uh, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. And the guy tells me we don't hire English majors. I never took another English class again. And I've never interviewed at Accenture. It was the yeah. stupidest thing ever. But, you know, like we're making decisions on a future we know nothing about. Yeah. You know, honestly, I, I could not agree more. I, I think both on the point of just, uh, you know, the reality is college is becoming, um, I think, I think at this point it's, it's very much kind of a glorified, uh, you know, kind of like a, a signal. It's like a stamp of approval. Um, mm -hmm. and from you know, really a, a lot of like, in terms of, do you learn more in college? Right. Um, I think there are certain topics and there are certain subjects where there, there are things that are really hard for you to actually, you know, self-teach or just like learn from the internet. And a lot of the time it's because it's, it's really hard to do that um, you know, to have the discipline. To do. But I think for, you know, for the most part that that isn't the case. I think, um, I mean, there's, there's this, you know, tweet I saw recently that I wholeheartedly agree with uh, funnily, which is, there's so many people going to these, you know, elite institutions and then they just end up all doing the same things, right? They all want to be, you know, become consultants or investment bankers or product managers at, you know, some large tech companies. And I think one of the probably, you know, uh, best kept secrets you know, at, at a school like Stanford is it's known for entrepreneurship. But if you actually look at the, the percentage of the graduating class, you know, even CS majors and, and really people who did a lot of you know, technology, uh, it's, it's tiny. It's a, it's a tiny percentage. And I think there's a lot of, you know, it, it, there's a, there's a lot of kind of like innate, uh, risk aversion, uh, that's yeah. there that I think end up reflecting what you're, what you're expressing right now. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I, I think for, for me, the, the way I think about college, if I were to, you know, do it all over again, I think it's, it's all about kind of the relationships you built, like the, the deep relationships, you know, that you build. Um, there's, I think most people don't really understand while they're inside of it that you're never going to be around that many people, uh, ever again. Yeah. And, you know, in such close proximity. So. Yeah. I think the thing that struck me most uh, about what you said was this notion of innate risk aversion that's almost embedded into these types of environments, which are, is funny because, you know, these are some of the highest achieving people that, you know, that we get that you know, produced from our school system. Yet the thing is, because they're so used to getting straight A's doing well, that risk aversion is just baked into them from the get go. Clearly, you decided to do a very risky thing, which is to start a company. But tell me, how do you think about developing that tolerance for risk? Because yeah. One thing is you're young, right? Like you don't have a family and kids from what I know. And so you don't have a, a, as many responsibilities. And I always say, you know, take the biggest risk when you have the least to lose. But I think that when you're in an environment like that, there's almost an irony to it, right? There's a paradox. It's like here you are surrounded by some of the brightest, most creative, innovative people on the planet. And yet, you know, I'd said this before that Berkeley is like a breeding ground for conformity in a lot of ways. And it sounds that, you know, like Stanford in some ways is similar. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Um, so how do you think about that You know, tolerance for risk and developing that and, and building that? And how do you think about it in terms of older people, which I realize well, is a weird question because you're not older. No, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is if you just think about kind of like how how people get into these schools, um, it's, uh, it's I think it's very telling, right? That the way you get into these schools is you, uh, and it's not really by kind of being unique or, or standing out. You know, they, they say, they, they'll say it is, but it's, there's, there's, uh, in many ways, there's kind of like a formula, right? You you know, do a lot of extracurriculars, you get good grades, um, you you get some international awards in, you know, some category, some Olympiad or, or something like that. And so everyone kind of just ends up doing, you know, doing the same things. Um, and, you know, and then you, you, you get to, you get to school and, you know, a school like Stanford and, um, you know, everyone's still trying to get straight A's and, and everything like that. And, you know, the reality is, uh, Grades are more of a measure of your willingness to uh, do bullshit than it than it is your intelligence, right? Or your your actual problem solving abilities and and all of that. And so, I think at the end of the day, what happens is, you know, a lot of a lot of people who graduate from these schools end up, uh, you know, end up not really knowing how to how to solve problems, kind of you know, from first principle. And it is it's kind of just looking for okay how do I game the system? Right. And how do I, you know, how do I do this? Uh, 
is, am I doing this the right way? Where, whereas in, if you think about, you know, entrepreneurial settings, uh, no one's ever going to give you that feedback, right? Um, very rarely, maybe your users sometimes, but they're going to give you, you know, they're going to give you conflicting signals as well. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is just developing, like, how do you develop your innate, um, you know, it's kind of like self-confidence and, yeah. and, and, and that's, I think a lot of what is, what is missing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I realize like, you know, business school teaches you absolutely nothing about running a business. And to your yeah. point, you're solving problems where there are no instructions for these problems. There's no book you can read. You kind of have to figure it out because each one of them is unique to you. I mean, there are models you can follow in principles, but yeah, I, I think I see this so often with prescriptive advice. People are like, okay, if I do exactly what this person said, I'll get the result that they've got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what uh school rewards, right? But mm-hmm. the world the real world doesn't reward that at all. Um, yeah. the real world, you know, it rewards you being right, doing something that that that's that's unique, having a unique skill set, delivering uh, a product or, or service that um, is differentiated, right? And yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, the first part of this question, the answer is probably pretty obvious, but the second part I wonder about where do you think that being a Stanford graduate in your own life has been both an asset and a liability? Yeah, I mean, you know, as an asset, the the reality is in terms of intellectual horsepower, you're around some of the best uh, people in the world. Um, and so I think if you, you know, go there with the idea of, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn from these people um, and I'm going to, you know, find the best people to, to, to learn from and to build, you know, things with, I think that it's, it's a fantastic breeding ground for that. Um, in terms of a liability, I think, uh, you know, you, you, you end up having a very distorted and developing a very distorted view of reality over the four years that you're there. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I, I always joke that it's basically a country club. It looks like a country club. Uh, (laughs) I've been there. Believe me. I know grass is perfectly trimmed. The bushes, you know, absolutely perfect. Um, and, and it, it, this like tiny, tiny bubble and, and a huge echo chamber um, in terms of like, you know, all of the kind of ideas and ideals that are espoused there. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, either end up bringing that to them, right? Uh, sorry, with them kind of in, in, into into the real world or, or in, in a lot of cases, uh, they have to adjust and adapt to, to realize, you know, um, the world is not as, as they expected. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate that you brought this idea of a distorted view of reality because I think that's just the nature of being in an elite school. Like even at Berkeley, like you kind of walk around and go, this is what the rest of the world is like. And then you get out and realize it's like, wow, people have it way harder than I ever did. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, I got to ask, did you ever have a real job? <laughs> just starting MEM and we'll get into MEM. I did. I, I worked at... um I work, it's funny. I, I worked as a PM at Yelp for two years, uh, right out of, uh, undergrad. Okay. And, and I, you know, I recently tweeted that I, I think people should avoid every urge in their body, you know, resist every urge in their body to become a PM right out of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just think it's, you know, it's one of those things where, um, and this is a kind of another, I think, downside of, of a school like Stanford, which is, um, you know, you, you, you hear, uh, you hear these things like, oh, being a PM, a product manager is like being the mini CEO of a company. It's, it's nothing like that. You're, you're not a mini CEO at all. And it's, um, you know, over time it's, it's become this kind of like distorted view. And now everyone who graduates with a CS degree out of Stanford, not everyone, but let's say like, actually like most people, they want to become a PM, right? Um, so I, I did that, uh, honestly, mostly, um, because, I needed to, um, you know, as, as a Canadian, I needed to actually go to a place that would sponsor my visa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed my time at Yelp. I thought it was, um, you know, I, I learned, learned quite a bit. Um, but, uh, it's just not in my DNA to, to be at a large company. Um, yeah. You know, follow well, process. You and I both have that in common, clearly. All right. Well, let's get into, talking about mem because like i said uh you, you know the way that i talk about mem people think that i'm obsessed my friends like do you work for these guys you know like, the half the people who are even in your slack groups like i thought you worked for mem i was like i don't work for mem i just happen to be absolutely in love with the product 
Um, like I spent, I, I've never yeah. had a tool yeah. where I spend 90% of my day using only that. Keep in mind, I do a lot of things. So that should give people an idea. But tell me, what is the impetus for, for Mem? Like what was the reason you guys started this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, my, my co-founder and I, we've been best friends for 10 years. Um, I, I met him in the, in the first week of school, uh, you know, at, at Stanford and he actually got me into, um, I would say he really got me deep into, into technology. Obviously I was, I was already interested in it. You know, he was someone who had been programming since he was 13, uh, had built like countless things before, you know, he arrived in college that like real people used. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we hit it off like really quickly. Uh, and he kind of brought me into this world of like, not just, you know, products, but actually like how to build products and, and all of that. And over the course of our time, um, you know, the, the time that we've known each other, we've built so many random little things, uh, together, um, you know, <laughs> from, from an app that tried to force us to go to class, uh, which, which didn't end up working, uh, to, you know, um, the, like, uh, and, and, uh, you know, the Wikipedia game where you, you start with like, you know, on, on any page and you figure out the shortest path to any other page. Um, we tried to, you know, build, build a program for that, like algorithmically. And we, we also started this, uh, I wouldn't call it a real company, uh, but in 2015 and, you know, that summer, instead of taking traditional internships, um, we worked on this thing called Rhythmic, which was basically an anonymous posting and polling platform uh, inside of organizations. And then we tried to sell it to HR, which was a horrendous, uh, horrendous idea. <laughs> I can and, see why. And I'm guessing you do too, now that you run a company. Oh yeah. I mean, we had a collective six months of work experience before then. Right. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was, it was just a disaster. When that, but it was, you know, so many different things we built together. Um, but one of the things that we just repeatedly, repeatedly kept coming back to uh, was this idea of why is it that we produce so much information in our day-to-day lives, whether it's explicitly produced, right? Like you taking a note or whatever, or just implicitly produced through our emails, through our communications. Um, you know, nowadays it's, 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 it's even bigger, right? In our CRMs, in our data warehouses, like just everything, this vast amounts of data. Um, and we can't actually make use of it at all. In fact, the only people that can make use of it are big tech companies that are using it to advertise, you know? Um, and there's all of this information that we actually have access to that we've come across before um, that we just can't use at the right times when we need it, right? And so fundamentally, um, you know, I, I, I remember, I distinctly remember being at a restaurant, um, you know, with, uh, with Kevin, my co-founder, I pulled down my phone and I said, Imagine if I gave a person access to my phone right now and they were, you know, they were benevolent, obviously, whatever, they would be able to help me so much, right? Because I could ask them to do anything for me and they would just be able to use the information that's in there, the text that I'm sending, all of that to actually, uh, you know, help me accomplish what I wanted. And so um, that's kind of, you know, if you think about it, that's, that's really what we're, you know, our purpose at MEM, which is how do we maximize the utility of, uh, of your information, right? And we're starting, um, by essentially kind of building like this, uh, you can think of it as like a personal search engine yeah. just for you. So Google knows so much about the, the general world, mm-hmm. right? But it knows nothing about you, right? It knows more about Beyonce's birthday than it does about your grandma's birthday, right? So how do you, you know, how, how do we, how do we reconcile that? And there's more and more information uh, that you're actually producing um, that only you have access to nowadays, right? So how do we unlock the power of that? That's that's fundamental. You know, it's funny. I actually wrote that down in a note in Mem saying, you know, the purpose of Google is to organize the world's information. The purpose of Mem is to organize your information. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I think a lot of um, given a lot of the technological changes that have happened, I'm sure you know everyone who's listening to this has probably you know heard of. All the crazy things happen in AI, you know, right now from chat GPT to, you know, just the AI generated images and, and all of this stuff. Um, the, the really unique opportunity, and this is like, you know, I would say what, what we're really focused on is if you imagine, um, today, how much effort is required for, for the typical knowledge worker. And, and if you think about what a knowledge worker does, 
Um, there's obviously different breeds of knowledge workers and, you know, different types, but you kind of do the same, uh, you do many of the same things. And a lot of that actually involves essentially gardening, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, gardening your knowledge base. It's maintaining it. Um, it's, you know, uh, people spend so much time just organizing information, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you, you know, if we can have computers now, nowadays that can actually understand human language and that's, that's, that's kind of the implication, right? If you look at these, like, you know, these chatbots and, and, and the ability for you to say, Hey, give me an image that is, you know, a flying, uh, pig, blah, 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 da, 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 um, over the Golden Gate Bridge and, and AI can generate that image. Essentially what that means is like these machines can actually understand humans, right? And if you, if you can have a machine that can understand humans, why do we ever have to organize anything ever again ourselves? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's fundamentally what. Kind of the world we're going into. And I think a lot of, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's always going to be people who, um, want extreme control mm -hmm. over exactly how, uh, you know, their information is organized and, and all of that. But I think the reality is, you know, the everyday person, vast majority of the world, um, myself included, uh, just, you know, I, I want to be lazy. I, I don't, I don't want to have to think about how to, you know, um, how to manage my information and, and all of that. I just, I want that to happen automatically for yeah. me. And just be able to access it. Well, so I think that that is one of the first hurdles. I remember something distinctly uh, when I was talking to somebody in your marketing team and even you, and this quote always stayed with me so much so that I actually included it in one of my articles. And you said to me, you know, five years from now, a world without folders will be our default. People will look at folders like they look at floppy disks now. Um, yeah. So talk to me about that idea of a network structure, because I think that when people first come across this idea of network thinking, it's so counterintuitive, you know, and it, to me, it's always been one of the strange paradoxes, because the more that I spent time in MEM, the more I started to understand this. I was like, I started reading all these books about, you know, you know, like how information is organized in the brain, uh, how the brain works. And I was like, wait, a minute, this literally mirrors the way my brain is structured. This is insane. And yet it's so counterintuitive because what we've done our entire lives is that we've used linear structures to do nonlinear things. And so I think that that hurdle, uh, and I, I think I even told you this, I said, like, in my mind, your biggest hurdle isn't adoption, it's behavior change. It's getting people totally. to change this idea and this perception. But before we get into that, talk to me about this idea of a world without folders, because I think that that is something that when people hear that, they're like, what the hell? I remember somebody, I told somebody this and they're like, no, folders are fantastic. I was like, folders suck. <laughs> now, that, now that I've used mem for a year and a half, I'm like. F Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on bomba socks underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds yeah that plush and the best part for every item you purchase bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Holders have to be the most idiotic way to organize things. And the way I describe it is like people organize information, like going to a different grocery store to buy every item on the list when all they want to do is make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the easiest way to think about this is... Um, you know, kind of really understanding how folders came to be in the first place, right? Um, and, and the context in, of the world that we lived in when, when folders were invented, right? So the first folder was, uh, was not a digital folder. It was, you know, um, it was filing cabinets. And so that was invented in like the 19th century, late 19th century, uh, in a purely physical world, right? And if you think about that, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. We don't have, you know, these computers that can arbitrarily just index information, right? Um, that you can just retrieve from instantly. Um, and so you need a, you know, what the physical incarnation of, of a filing cabinet that, that was actually a huge kind of a huge point of innovation for in terms of how people organized information. And I, and I think you'll still, you, you'll walk into most dentist offices today and stuff like that. And you'll see these like massive, you know, on the wall, these like, folders, files of, of, of various people, right? And so when, when, then when computers were invented, right, because people had become so familiar and, you know, from everyone from doctors to lawyers, to, you know, just like everyday people to, um, with these filing cabinets that, uh, you know, the people who invented the, the personal computer, they said, okay, well, we're just going to take this eumorphic, you know, filing cabinet and we're going to turn it into something that is very familiar to people and that that's ultimately how a folder came to be. Right? Mm -hmm. And whenever you have, you know, this, like whenever, whenever you have new technology, uh, that, that arises, a lot of the uh, efforts goes into making it look and, and appear familiar so that people can actually adopt it. And so that, but now we're, you know, we're half a century in into computers being a, a thing and, and, you know, the computers of today are, are, are nothing like the computers of, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and it, I mean, if you look at just how, you know, also this new generation of, of kids growing up, uh, there have been countless articles. The Verge actually did a really, a really, uh, interesting one last year about how like, you know, kids nowadays who grew up with, you know, things like Google Docs or whatever have no clue what a folder is. They have no clue how to, you know, dig down into this like hierarchical structure and, and find, you know, files within their system. Um, and basically it's because it's not how our brain works. Right. Um, and if you don't actually, um, use, if you don't actually use software that forces you to think in folders, if, if you've never used it before, then you actually don't think hierarchically like, you know, in that way. I mean, hi hierarchy is still, I think it's still important, but just in time hierarchies is, is important, right? When you have these rigid structures that, uh, you know, basically never change or are really hard to change, I think that's where the, the problem arises. So, uh, you know, in terms of a world without folders, I think uh, it's just, if you think about like uh, the, the last time that you had to, um, you know, decide on a folder structure, how anxiety provoking that is, because you just know, you know, oh, you know, this is probably... I'm, I'm going to have to change this completely two weeks from now as I acquire new information, right? Mm -hmm. Because how can you possibly know how you're going to organize something that you haven't even seen before? Um, and so, 
the malleability of uh, of the brain is 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 a really good i think analogy where if you look at how the brain works because it's you know this network model um if 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 something is no longer relevant right you can basically just detach that node from kind of you know the rest of the network and you can just rewire everything you know really quickly right mm-hmm. whereas in a folder structure that doesn't that doesn't happen yeah no, absolutely. I mean, I, that's why, like, I, I, I tried to explain this to people when I made that, um, you know, uh, I, I wrote that post title, Why the Personal Network of Knowledge is a New Second Brain, because I think that Tiago did amazing work. Um, and yet, I remember when I finished my conversation with him, I was like, Tiago, you left out something fundamentally important in this book. He's like, I know. He was like, the network thought. I was like, yeah. He was like, that's the next. Iter-. And even Tiago himself said, this is the next iteration of the second brain. Um, because the second brain concept is brilliant, but I realized the biggest issue with it is that it requires ongoing maintenance and organization. And to your point, the biggest limitation I saw was that once you start to add more and more information, it becomes more and more of a mess to manage. It's not scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I wonder about this, like when you think about the, you know, organizing information, like people use complex databases, suddenly it just occurred to me, you know, as you were saying, I was like, wait a minute, could hospitals be using this to manage patient records? Is this going to totally change the way that we, you know, manage these complex databases because suddenly everything becomes very simple. It's like you create a record and everything is linked to it. I, I, even when I was showing this to my dad last night, he was kind of jaw dropped at what I could do. I was like, yeah, you want information on, uh, you know, the polymerase chain reaction. He's a virologist. He's like, this is crazy. I was like, I know. Uh, but, you know, like, so I remember when I, you know, I had asked you, you said, you know, uh, other note taking apps are not our competition. Folders are our competition. But, you know, I think that you made a good point. These hierarchical structures are deeply embedded even inside organizations. Like I think about databases, right? Complex databases like CRM systems. Um, So, I mean, what is the future that going to look like when, you know, you layer networks on top of it? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, that, that, uh, I'll I'll kind of explain uh, our our vision for, for that future, right? So if you think about, all of this information that you you interact with, you know, within, let's say within an organization, different people interact with salespeople interact with the CRM, uh, customer support interacts with, uh, you know, Zendesk recruiters interact with uh, an ATS, right? These like all of these different things. Um, none of these things can actually talk to each other. Right? They they end up being kind of these you know these silos where information essentially goes to die, right? Um, and so I think the important piece of, of all of this, right, is you actually need a structure where you can have, um, and, and, and again, I think this is, this all happens in the background, right? And, and this is, I think, truly where, you know, the magic of MEM is and, 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 and is going. Like, I, I don't think we're, we're, we're really close yet, honestly. I think we've, we've made good progress, but we're not really close. Yet. And, and really you should be abstracting away all of this complexity of the underlying databases and everything. And just be able to give people this, you know, almost like this black box where they can just throw things in there or, you know, they can integrate their, you know, email or whatever data source that they, they want to actually, you know, make use of. And then not have to think about at all, okay, you know, is this, even have, even have to think about this as like a graph, right? It's just, it doesn't matter uh, if I just throw this piece of information over there. It's like if you told a person, right? Imagine you could just tell a person, everything that you knew and, and give them everything you had access to. You don't have to tell them, Hey, this is how you should remember things, right? They just end up remembering things. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, humans are actually, you know, have, have horrible memories and this is why computers are actually helpful. Um, but that's kind of the experience that, that, that we're building, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very much of a, um, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, you, obviously you don't have to pre, you know, convince me you're preaching to the choir, Given that, you know, I've built a course about this, I've created YouTube, you know, videos about this. I'm basically trying to convert every person I talk to into using this. Um, yeah. let's talk about use cases because I, you know, we've been kind of explaining this at a theoretical level. Of course, but, yeah. And, and the other thing that, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, and Tiago and I were talking about this as well, is that some of this is very hard to grasp because we're talking about it in audio and you kind of have to see it in action to really understand its power. And more than that, you have to experience it. So we're talking about the network. There's one thing that I realized that was really difficult for people to grasp. And I, this is a, a realization I had when I was trying to uh, help my old roommate use MEM. 
and he was really overwhelmed and confused. He said, like, I don't get it. And it finally occurred huh. to me, I was like, you know why you don't get it? You don't have enough information in here. You need a critical mass of knowledge before the network works. So I always say it's like your brain, but it's a version of your brain that has amnesia and your job is to restore its memory. Uh, but let's talk about use cases. Yeah. Like, how are people using this? Because I mean, I, I'm sure there are use cases you haven't even told me about. I remember you were telling me about you know, biotech companies, uh, you know, we can talk, I mean, I can tell you talk about my use cases all day long, but I want to hear other ones. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's people are using this kind of for, for, uh, it, it always amazes me to, to, to find kind of new use cases, uh, and, and just all of the different ways that people are using this. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think very tangibly, you know, here, here's a very specific one. Uh, this is actually a product we, we launched recently, uh, that I know, you know, you've been you've been a big fan of but um it, it's let's think about like smart write and, and edit right so fundamentally what it is right is you can think of it as it's this like ai assistant where it is capable of producing um you know entirely you know new writing um or editing existing writing that you have inside of mem um in a way that actually takes in the context of everything that is inside of your mem knowledge base. So if you've, you know, what we'll see is we'll see, let's, you know, people who are in, in, in marketing, they'll have a bunch of their blog posts that they produced inside of mem, right. Um, for their company. And then now you can actually use this and you can say, okay, cool. Well, um, write me, uh, something about this new topic, but in the same style as, um, you know, uh, the other blog posts that I've written before, mm -hmm. right. And now you, it can also then integrate existing kind of knowledge, not from, from blog posts, but just from, you know, the company knowledge base, um, and actually produce like really interesting outputs yeah. and really interesting writing, which I, I know, I know you've seen before and you're, you're not yours. Oh, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm a super fan. I'm a fanatic. Um, <laughs> like what I will tell you is I, I'm, you know, one of these people who tries every new thing, every new tool. I, I mean, I've stuck with Mem for God knows how long. And at this point, I remember I told you, I was like, when I, I spoke to your investors, I was like, you guys would be crazy not to invest in this company and my life will fall apart if you don't invest in this company because I've become so dependent on it. I was like, I can't live without this now. That's how integral it is to my workflow. And not only that, you know, up until now, when I'd seen AI tools produce writing, I was like, this is very general. It doesn't sound like me. But what blows my mind consistently is that it does sound like me. I've just to give people examples of some of the crazy things, and I'll include a link to the video uh, tutorial that just went live today um, in the link yeah, link for this episode. But I've been compiling lists of links. Like yesterday, I was like, give me a list of the 10 most popular TED Talks. And it literally just gave me a bulleted list, you know, right there with the hyperlinks. Or, you know, I had this list of books of Amazon, you know, that I read in 20, 2022. I was like, give me the hyperlinks for all the books mentioned in this note. And it just instantly spits them out. So what I realized was that this wasn't a replacement for creativity. It was just taking the most tedious aspects of knowledge management out of my day to day. Um, you know, I think the entire best of 22 social media campaign was done using this smart write feature where we looked at all our transcripts and I was like, generate 10 social updates for every one of these transcripts done in seconds. And I remember talking to you the day this came out, because <laughs> when you showed it to me, I was like, this is the final bottleneck that has prevented me from being able to promote content on social media because I don't want to spend time on social media. But the other thing that I think uh, you, I want to emphasize here, and I want, I want to hear your take on this as well is this is the ultimate deep work tool because when you are no longer looking for information in a thousand places, it drastically reduces the number of context shifts that you have to deal with. I mean, I don't, totally. Like I'm literally yeah. in mem all day, which is why I'm always kind of stuck. I was like, why do you have a Slack group? How come you don't have a mem group? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to be in the cards. Um, That's why I started one so I could understand how it worked. And, you know, you're in our mem group. So, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of just digging into, you know, a few more use cases, right? I, I've seen, you know, for example, there, there are lawyers who, and this is, this is like one of the really interesting, um, you know, pieces where for any profession where your job is like, oh, I'm, I, I need to make kind of like these weird connections, right? And so, you know, between things that might not be obvious. So for a lawyer, it might be like, hey, you know, there's this case that I'm working on right now and I need to find like precedents that I could use that, that might matter, right? And historically, you know, that kind of like search or discovery problem, you know, search is, is, is 
has only been keyword based search. Like even Google today, it's like a keyword, right? If you, if you search something, you know, a word in, in the wrong way, you won't find what you're looking for. But a lot of the same technology that, um, that powers smart right net it, um, is, is, is also powers this thing that we call similar maps, which essentially across everything that you know, you know, from the memes that you write, from, you know, the emails that, that you have, from, you know, the, the, the links that you save, the things that you read, all of that, um, we can just in time essentially surface the most relevant piece of content for you. So if you're, let's say you're a lawyer um, and, you know, in, in, in the near future, you're, you're going to be able to load in like a lawyer data set of, of all of, you know, the court cases that have ever happened in, in the United States, for example. Um, or you're a biologist or, and a researcher and you'll be able to load in all of the research papers um, from, you know, from archive, right? Or something like that. Um, then as you're actually producing a piece of work, right? This deep work that you're describing where you're really diving into a topic. Um, imagine a, just a proactively helpful assistant that can say, hey, based on what you're writing right now, this might be an interesting thing for you to reference, right? And we can pull that not only from, you know, the, the web at large and, and like everything that exists in the public internet, but also your organizations or your own unique knowledge and the things that you've actually acquired yourself, right? So people talk about data all the time and, and people talk about, oh, it's this like data advantage, you know, we, we, we have this pr- proprietary knowledge, um, but that's only true if you actually make use of it. Right? Mm-hmm. It's only true if, you know, while you're actually producing information, you can actually make use of it. And that's like one of the hardest problems of today because now organizations are producing you know, petabytes of data. Um, and so how do you connect the right piece of information, knowledge, or even person to, um, to the work that's being done? Yeah, it's, it's- well, I, I can tell you this. So I, you know, when I do market research surveys, I realize you know, they all go into a spreadsheet. And in the past, it would take some skilled like you know, data analytics person to make sense of it and say, okay, distill this into actionable insights. And I remember showing this to you. I said, I took a bunch of answers from survey questions and I basically created customer avatars from those questions. I created summaries from those questions. I mm-hmm. had it rewrite copy for a landing page based on those answers. Uh, you know, recently I was like, okay, generate some ideas for video tutorials based on, on the survey data. I mean, I literally took probably three or four interviews that I did with my own students. I was like, okay, what are the biggest problems these students have? Summarize them. And I remember I sent this to you and I was like, this is insane. Um, and then I remember the other one was like, Hey, do a recap of my year. That one was a little bit inaccurate because I didn't put all my tasks into MEM, although I'm starting to do that now, finally. Um, but uh, I think to your point, you know, the ability to do something with all this information is really where MEM shines above everything else that I've used. And I've used it all. Uh, it was just one of those things like, and I think, like I said, it took me about two months before I saw the magic. And I, and I, that's the thing that even, you know, is so hard with the course that I teach is you have to get to the end of it in order to see what it does. And I remember the, one of my students who was like one of my top students who finished the course, I asked her, she said, everything clicks when you get to the end. So you need to emphasize that throughout the course because, you know, you have to build this network out. That's what I think people miss when they see this, because it starts out as this blank slate. And not only that, you're not organizing anything. People are like, well, how am I supposed to find anything? I was like, that is the whole point. You don't have to worry about that ever. Yeah, yeah. And and, and there's a lot of, uh, I think that's that's like a great point. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff we're working on there to uh, really make that, um, you know, turn that from what might now be like a two month process where, you know, someone has to essentially hope and, and, and believe mm-hmm. and have faith um, into something where, you know, in the very in the first five minutes, right, we make really easy for you to connect the things that, that you care about and, and wow. do that, right? So, uh, yeah, and, and I think, you know, you, you were telling me about some really interesting use cases, and I think where this becomes, like, really powerful and where we're starting to see this, like, more and more is where it really gets deeply integrated into your existing workflows, right? Mm-hmm. So going from things like, oh, taking a, uh, you know, a lot of people now record their meetings and, and, and have these, like, aud- audio transcripts um, and going from a transcript, uh, kind of like directly to a blog post, right. That, um, uh, is written in your style and, 
we can, you know, kind of like extract the relevant insights and, and all of that. There's, there's some really interesting things, um, that are developing kind of there. And, and I think it's a, a lot of the stuff, you know, obviously some of the stuff we're working on, but overall, I, I would just say how this market is developing um, mm. is really going to dramatically change how people work yeah. in the future. So, yeah. Well, talk to me about the aspects of being a founder that I think people tend to glorify, right? Like people probably read the press. They don't see the reality. <laughs> like, oh, if these guys are, you know, killing it, they just raised their $23 million round of funding. Dennis is going to be a billionaire. Like that's, I think, the the default. But you and I both know that's not the reality of running a company at all. Uh, and I think that people tend to misinterpret the reality. It, what are the ups and downs? Like, you know, managing your psychology, dealing with things like are there moments where you're just like, man, this is problematic. Like what are the things you deal with, like mentally as a founder? Yeah. It's, it, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, there, um, just last week, uh, there were, there's some, you know, Wells Fargo. I, I hate, I hate banks and, and all of this, but there was a snafu where they, uh, I, I logged in and I just saw zeros in, in my account. Like, you know, not like zeros follow, following a number, just, just zeros. Cause they, they closed my account. Cause, you know, long story short, my parents opened, it helped me open the account when I was just coming to school here. Um, and they recently instituted a policy where it's like, oh, yeah, if you, uh, if you have anyone who lives outside of the U S on your account, you know, we're going to close it. Anyways. Um, I, I think, you know, people don't really realize there's a lot of, uh, you know, your company raising a lot of money actually doesn't mean uh, anything in terms of, uh, you, I mean, there are of course, uh, you know, certain founders who will, uh, who will treat that money like it's their money. And you yeah, know, I wouldn't well, recommend it- that. It raises the stakes. Um, like now you're on the hook, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think there are like, for me, the, the, the biggest thing is I enjoy the agency of like the, well, what I call radical agency, which is no matter what happens, I know that I had maximum control over the outcome, over what, what happened, where if I, you know, if things don't end up working out, I can blame myself. I, I don't have to blame some external force, right? Well, you know, as much as possible. Obviously, there's some things that are still, uh, you know, left to chance, you know, many things. Right? I think it's, I think it's less than what people actually really think uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. But um, th- that is like, to me, it's the most important thing. Um, yeah. It's being able to actually essentially, you know, the corny way of saying it is control my own destiny. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I love that. That's, that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is just feeling like you're at the forefront of, of, uh, the very forefront of technology mm-hmm. and, and what, um, and, and, and essentially bringing this like technology to the world yeah. um, and having a maximum impact. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's like what gets me up. You know, well, every day, you know, I, I love the fact that like you didn't mention anything about money, you know, like, the, and everybody says this over and over again is like, this cannot be about the money. And I remember talking, you want to make a lot of money. There are a lot of better ways, there are a lot of better ways to make that in a, in a way more guaranteed manner. Yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing I think that struck me, I remember when I talked to uh, the team that made the investment, I remember they called me and I was like, look, I'm like, I don't know any founder who will get on a zoom call with a customer on Christmas Eve and help them fix a problem. Like, I remember that to this day. I never forgot that. And I think the thing that always impressed me about you was a combination of insane humility and work ethic. Because I remember even when we put that post up, you're like, hey, don't make me, Srini, can you make a correction um, and change me to the co-founder? And I was like, right. And that that always stayed with me, like the level of humility and just insane work ethic that I've seen from you. I think, thanks, Srini. Appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Where does that come from? Um I mean, I, honestly, I think part of it is is just survival instincts, you know? Um as a as a startup, like no one when you're building something from scratch, the default is people don't care, right? And and I think this is something a lot of people don't understand either. It's uh, you know, people are worried that people are going to hate their thing. Um that's, that's actually one of the better outcomes. <laughs> the worst outcome is no one cares. And that's kind of the, the default outcome. Right. And so I think the, the effort that's required also, you know, to, to get someone who uses, you know, 
who use who uses an existing pro- product to solve a problem in their lives to go and switch over to yours i think is just it's it's gigantic it's a lot to ask for from a user and i think at the end of the day you know you 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 have to kind of pull out all the stops for that right so i think that's one thing i think you know probably another piece of it just comes from um you know a lot of the people that i think i grew up really admiring and especially coming from like a sport ground and really going deep there or, um were you know were the gym rats right or the 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 people who just like left it all out on the on the floor and, and i think honestly that's a big piece of what's missing in in silicon valley nowadays which is um you know you you can see the professionalization of tech right mm-hmm. um where i this you know this happened with finance you know back in the day when it was like the, the sexiest thing to do which was people realized you know, oh i i people didn't care about the thing. They just realized they could make a lot of money doing it. And so you had all these tourists, you know, I call them tourists come in. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, like that's, um, that, that's a lot of what's happening right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do my part in, in, in showing people, Hey, I think this is the right way to, to do it. You have to have real passion for the thing you're doing. You have to really care about it. Uh, and if you don't, then, probably shouldn't be doing it like i said you know i I remember when i started the the mem consulting business i was just like well i'm solving my own problem that's the only reason i'm starting this business i'm kind of like this is just interesting to me i don't know where it's going to go it's a little experiment uh you know and here we are a year later and a thousand subscribers on a youtube channel like there's been friends like you started another business i was like by accident yes but (laughs) it's kind of the flywheel because i manage every other aspect of my other business inside of mem now yeah yeah, well, that, that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I mean, I, like I said, I, I just, I knew I wanted to share you with my audience because I've been just, you know, beating them over the head endlessly with, uh, you know, why I think this is the greatest thing ever. And I figured, you know what, instead of me telling you why it's great, why don't I let the founder tell you why it's great? He can probably t- t- talk more articulately about it. But uh, I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it is, I think it just comes down to what I, what I describe as radical agency. Um, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's people who, um, refuse to accept that, uh, they have no control over their lives and, and, and the world around them and that they can change things. You know, I think it, like one of one of my favorite quotes of all time is, is, is you know, is basically a quote that says, um, you know, everything in the world around you is what uh, was was built by people who are no smarter than you, um, and you know, all of these decisions right are are changeable, and and you have the power to change. I think to me that's like my life motto, and, and I think uh, those are the people that that are borrowing your term, become a mistake. Hmm. Amazing. Well, uh, like I said, I have wanted to share you with our audience for a very long time. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Uh, Where can people find out more about MEM, about you, uh, and everything else you're up to? Yeah, so MEM, go to mem.ai. It's uh, five, you know, three-letter domain followed by .ai, so it should be relatively easy. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, you can also check out my YouTube channel. Uh, I'll include a link to tutorials and a bunch of other stuff in this interview. We even wrote an ultimate guide to building a second brain in mem. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.